My name is Tim. If you're a guest here with us today, I'm glad that you're here. First of all, if you've got a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. You got it? Say you got it. Got it. That was, that was fast. <laughs> Might just be keeping the ribbon in your Bible there, huh? Okay. 1 Peter 4. Would you stand out of reverence for God's word? This is what the spirit of God has for us today. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous, quoting Isaiah here, the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, would you read that out loud with me? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. All right, church. Three weeks left, counting today. We're almost done with First Peter. Has it been good for your soul? Man, thank God for First Peter. We're talking about, if you remember, we defined being a people of resistance. It means that we assume a humble, gentle, holy um, kind of character while we march through this land that's not our own. While we march through Babylon, while we march to our heavenly home. And so a people of resistance today are people that can keep their head up through the worst of the worst. You can... You can turn that frown upside down. This isn't a feel-good kind of sermon, but I, I hope that you see the thrust here that we can even rejoice when bad stuff happens. We're a weird kind of people. We're, we're the only people on planet Earth that walk towards death joyfully. Do you, you see that? For Christians, the, the funeral is sad because... We're, we're taking a break in our relationship, right? But we're going to see them like maybe a few months, maybe a few months, maybe a few years from now. But it's, it's just pressing pause on the relationship. It's not finishing the relationship. Philip Yancey, he, he wrote several books on the, on the problem of suffering and evil. His most recent one is titled, Why? 
It's the question that never goes away. When, when bad stuff happens out there in the world, the most common question that people ask is, where is God? But when it happens to, to us, when it's personal, we're left with the big looming question of why God? It becomes painfully personal, doesn't it? He writes about this in light of the Sandy Hook shooting. You remember that a few years ago? It's interesting when, when we're just talking about evil and suffering in non-personal ways, we, we might want to listen to best-selling authors like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, these guys that made a lot of money selling books about the God delusion and God not being great. But when tragedy actually strikes, it, it's not them that people call to speak at conferences, you know? They need comfort. Moms and dads of little boys and girls that were lost. They don't want to hear from a scientist. They wanted to hear from a pastor. They wanted to hear from, from, from Pastor Yancey. We're weird people. We can keep our head up and pushing forward because of the living hope that we have that Peter has been pushing since chapter 1 right? So the big idea, we walk forward. If there was ever a thing, a challenge or a to-do thing, you can write this down or circle it on your sheet that you have in front of you. It is keep trusting when you're in trouble. Keep trusting when you're in trouble. Can you say that with me? Keep trusting when you're in trouble. Some of you might not be awake yet. So it's okay. This happened in the 8 a.m. service too. Some of you might not want to hear it from me. Maybe you should turn to your neighbor now and just remind them, keep trusting when you're in trouble. That's right. Say it out loud. Don't whisper. That's right. Hey, maybe, maybe the other person next to you didn't hear it either though. Let them know. That's right. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. What does he say? That's exactly what he's saying, isn't it? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, what? Entrust. What does that mean? Literally, it means to put before him. My life is not safe in your hands, my hands. It's safe in your hands, God. My heart is not safe in my hands. It's safe in yours. He says, I entrust my soul. Not just the part that you see in front of you today, but my mind and my will and my emotions, all of it. Perhaps the most important parts of us. Peter says that we can entrust literally the indestructible, the immortal parts of us to him. Peter's calling for churches in the Asia Minor under the authority of someone that doesn't like them to trust even when trouble comes. Who are they to trust in, though? 
He says that they're trusting in a faithful creator. This is the first time he uses creator language in this passage. And this is really important as we get to the end of it where he calls out to Rome as Babylon that stands against God and his kingdom. In the Roman Empire, the emperor was considered to be deity. He was powerful. He was the one that brought peace to Rome. He's the one that kept peace in Rome. He's the one that can send people to jail or take their life. He doesn't call them Christians. He doesn't call them. He doesn't call you and I to trust in political powers or try to make nice and cute with them. We don't fear the one that can kill the body. We fear the one that can kill body and soul. It speaks to his power. He's not just strong, though. He has intentionality, too. He says that he is a faithful creator. This is the kind of God that we serve and know and love and worship. Go all the way back to 1 Peter 1. This is what the faithful creator has done for you and me. Verses 1 and 2. He says, as an apostle, I'm appealing to you in this way. And I'm writing to these elect or chosen exiles. According to the foreknowledge of God who knows the beginning and the end of history. God the Father who sanctifies you by his spirit so that we can be obedient to Jesus through the sprinkling of his blood. God doesn't just have good intentions for us. God is powerful to keep all of his promises. And so he calls us then to keep trusting when we're in trouble. And then he lists out four different expectations or commands for us. You see that in the passage? If you're taking notes, I'll give them to you. Don't be surprised by suffering. To say it positively, we should expect it. Don't be surprised by suffering, but instead celebrate in suffering. Does anyone want to go home yet? No? All right. We celebrate it. Don't be ashamed by suffering, but instead do glorify God through suffering. Glorify God through suffering. We can't get there, though, without having been enrolled in Jesus, a school of theology, though, first, okay? First, don't be surprised by suffering. First Peter 4, 12, he, he starts off this on like a very pastoral note, beloved, loved ones, not only by Pastor Peter, but also by the God who knew you and chose you and sprinkled you with his son's blood. You're beloved by him. Beloved, don't be surprised. He's not softening the blow. He's telling us to instead get an education. 
and be reminded of what Jesus called us to in the Gospels when he summons us to follow him. That Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote that is tattooed on my soul now. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Luke 14, when Jesus is telling people about the cost of discipleship and following him, what does he say? We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him then. That doesn't sound like I get everything I want in this life. It sounds like there's going to be heartache and pain. But watch this. He describes, he describes the nature of the trial. When bad stuff comes, it kinda, it's kind of like a fire. I remember when I was a five and six-year-old little boy, I loved playing with fire. How many things did I burn down? A lot. It's great. Until you get in trouble. Then it's not great. Just like any other tool. In the hand of someone that's unskilled or has malevolent intent, even a hammer can become a, a weapon, right? But in the hand of a craftsman, what happens? You can build all sorts of things. Fire's no different. The question we have to ask is, is God an arsonist or a craftsman? Is God an arsonist or a craftsman? Does God seek to destroy you? Answer. I think we have Jesus to be able to answer that question for us. He gave his own son for us to seek and save those of you who were and are lost. His aim is not to destroy, but like a craftsman who, like, I, I need a new wedding ring, um, wife, I need a new wedding ring. In the hands of a craftsman, fire becomes something that makes something already precious even more precious, even more weighty and beautiful and shiny. He says, this is the kind of trial that's for you. It's not to burn you down, it's to build you up. God doesn't want you to be ignorant of trials that are coming your way. Instead, he wants you to see his good intentions behind it. And he has the power to preserve you through them. It's for your benefit and your strengthening and you to make you more fit for heaven. Even through suffering for a long time. Debilitating waiting, struggling through, not wanting to wake up. The pastor says it like this, these many years of suffering are not meaningless. 
They're not pointless and they're not in vain. Instead, it's an invitation for you and me to learn and discern the heart of God. Adrian Rogers is so helpful. When I can't see God's hand, I can trace his heart. God gives me suffering, not for ill, for good. Jump to verse 17 real quick. It starts then this idea of judgment. Judgment is coming, and it starts first with the household of God. Trials and tribulations and testing together, they reveal who we really are. What we ultimately treasure, what we really care about, what we bank our hope on at the end of the day. And so both people that do trust in Jesus and people that don't all feel the same kind of pressure. We feel the same kind of heat. For the Christian, God is making us more fit for his kingdom. For someone, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus today, the pressure that you feel is meant to be an evangelist for you, to put your hope in something that will last. He calls you to trust Jesus. So don't be surprised when suffering comes. You don't think of it weird or strange. Instead, we celebrate it. We rejoice in it. The reason why we can sing, it is well with my soul, is because of this passage. We celebrate in suffering. Verse 13, he says, we rejoice, but not a flat kind of rejoice. There's emotion, there's power, there's intentionality behind this. It's to be in a state of happiness and well-being. I'm a brand new St. Louis Cardinals fan right? And I think I'm getting the culture now. So it is not a good year. It wasn't a good year for us. If this were two weeks ago, I would have said it wasn't a good week for you. It's not a good week for us now, or a good year for us, right? But you know what? We're, we're still happy. It's okay. There's always next year. It's going to be good. We're going to rejoice in suffering for a while, friends. Our hearts, while our faces might wince from pain, the very core of us that we've entrusted to God, they don't wince or contort at the pain. Instead, we can lay it before him knowing that he has us. He gives us to it in steps too, doesn't he? Step one, he says that I can do this as I'm found in Jesus. As I'm not surprised by suffering when it comes, suffering pushes me or pulls me towards trusting in Christ. Insofar as I share in his sufferings, in joining him in being holy here and now, there's this 
union that I share with him, not just spiritually, but also as he shapes my character. And when we do, we put Jesus's worth and glory on display. We have to wrestle with what he said concerning his own character and how other people received him. If he who was holy and perfect and gentle and mild, if other people didn't receive him, why do we think that people would receive us? He who is infinitely perfect and immeasurably beautiful. Why do we think people would want to hang around us when we want to follow him? There's a guy, 5th century, Telemachus. Say that name with me. What a weird name. Telemachus. Telemachus was a brother. He was a monk. And he, after prayer and consideration, he thought God was calling him to go to the Colosseum in Rome. Do you know what they did there in the Colosseum? It was a blood sport where men would fight other men for the enjoyment of the citizens. And this was a tragedy. And Telemachus was broken about this. The story goes that he heads to Rome, it's at the Colosseum, there's a fight going on, he springs into action, jumps in the way, and tells everyone, you can't do this, stop. Then there are two alternative endings to this. One was, they stopped for a moment, and then decided together, let's just kill this dude. The other one, The crowd roars at him and begins to take pieces of the broken Colosseum and they start throwing them at him. And they bludgeon him to death. Jesus preached, love your neighbor. This Telemachus brother, monk, fifth century, he wanted to stand in the way of what Rome loved and valued, and they did not receive him well. Funny enough, wouldn't you know it, that 50 years later, they stopped the whole Colosseum bit altogether. The bloodshed stopped. When we walk righteously and holy, there are going to be people that don't like it. But we can rejoice Because God is at work in that. Look at the second thing, though. He says, not only do I associate with Jesus in his sufferings, I also identify with Christ in his glory. He says, rejoice so at the revelation or the appearing, when Jesus is physically, bodily here, we can rejoice upon rejoicing. It's all the way up to 10. The party doesn't stop. If I rejoice in suffering now, I rejoice in his return later on. Does that mean, and hear me carefully, if the expectation 
for the believer is to experience some kind of chafing as they live holy, gentle, humble lives here on earth, while in Babylon, while living in a world that is not their own, does it mean that if we do not experience difficulty or hardship or suffering for Jesus' sake in any way, shape, or form, that we do not belong to him? Let me ask that again. There is no difficulty or hardship or suffering for Jesus' sake in your life. Do you belong to him? And pastor, he said it like this, you cannot follow Jesus faithfully and be respected or loved by the society in which you live. To be saved by Jesus necessarily means that we follow him as he leads us. And he plans to make a great escape for us out of Babylon into the home that he's building for us. But it shapes along the way against some people. We can love faithfully and we can try to serve people well. We can pray. We can care for and contend for other people. But it doesn't mean that the world is going to think favorably of us. But that doesn't mean that we get to be dismayed. In fact, we don't need to be dismayed or ashamed. In the biblical world, when we talk about shame, if you were to look at a map and see like how the world seems to work, what, what core sins motivate people, guilt, shame, and fear, the biblical world was motivated by shame. Motivated by shame and honor. And so the Bible doesn't give a big picture or a clearly defined list of this is what shame is. It gives pictures of what it looks like though. It's disgrace and it's a low estimation of something. It's a blight on your family or your culture. Psalm 44, 13 through 15 this is what shame sounds like. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors. The derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. We're a laughing stock. All day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. Shame looks like you were on the school bus and no one wants to sit next to you. Shame is having a lot of family at, at holiday meals, but there's always that one that you just don't want to sit next to. That you might not invite. Yeah? you don't have someone that just popped in your head right now, it might be you, right? <laughs> yeah. You better, you better make plans today. You need to text someone. 
Don't delay. He says, don't be ashamed, though, when others want to shame you. Just because someone else wants to make you an outcast doesn't mean that you're not received well by the one whom opinion really matters the most at the end of the day. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Mephibosheth. He makes a small little cameo in in 2 Samuel. David's king, Saul's family is pretty much all gone, save one individual. David wants to show kindness to someone in, in Saul's house because he loved his best friend, Jonathan. One of Jonathan's sons, Mephibosheth, lives. Mephibosheth was previously an enemy to David by association. Mephibosheth was also a paraplegic because of a childhood accident. What happens? It's not based upon anything Mephibosheth ever did in his ashamed state. King David invites him into his home and promises and pledges to love him and feed him, care for him. You're a part of the family now, bro. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus takes us in our suffering and shameful state and sinful state and invites us into his home to be a part of his family. While we were at the bottom, Jesus loves us to the sky. He seats us with him, no longer destitute anymore no longer shameful as some others might think we are. Instead, we're welcomed and seen and loved. We're honored. When now we were the kid that no one wanted to sit next to on the school bus, Jesus wants to. When no one wants to invite you to your family, like get-togethers, like you're you're on Jesus' list. Jesus invites you. Jesus seats us with him. Jesus forgives our sin and shame. And that's what pushes us and enables us to glorify him in suffering. We can display the weight of his beauty and majesty and power. Too many of us, though, are prone to live according to feedback and not faith. We would rather, as we live this life that Jesus has called us to, and we know what he's called us to, as we follow him in in his word, and his spirit points things out in our lives. Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Or if our eye causes us to sin, we gouge it out. That even our language is completely different than the people around us. The things that we value and care about are very different from the people around us. But when the going gets tough sometimes and we receive constant negative feedback from people, that can curtail zeal. 
and intentionality in following Jesus. We can love well without receiving their feedback. Instead, we live by faith according to what Jesus said. So don't be ashamed. Instead, you glorify God. The amount of glory that God receives from this life from you is equal to the amount of trust and action that we take. The amount of glory that God gets from us here and now is equal to the trust and action that we take. And so we give God glory by doing good things for other people. This is good. He commands us to do that. We give God glory by entrusting our soul to him. We give God glory by expecting bad stuff to come and yet rejoicing all the same. Before we pray, you just might need one more reminder from someone. Look to your neighbor one more time. Tell them with as much conviction as you can summon. Keep trusting when you're in trouble. Man, you, you all don't need to be afraid. Like, you can speak up. It's okay. Let's try that one more time. I don't know if your neighbor heard you or not. There's a lot of commotion right now. Keep trusting when you're in trouble. He, he's got it, y'all. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and thank you for meeting with us. Um, life is fleeting. Pain seems long sometimes and unbearable, but we can entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Father, would you help us do that? Would you help us see when trouble comes that we can continue to trust you? You're worth trusting. It's not a you issue. We need help though. And a weakness and frailty, help us know you and trust you. Would you do this, please? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.